Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mavericks, the Movie Mavericks podcast. Movie Mavericks, speaking of fucking long, uncut European cocks, the Movie Mavericks podcast. Now for your hosts, Jason and Trevor. I can't wait. Hey now, everybody, welcome to a special episode of the Movie Mavericks podcast, where we are clearly getting too old for this shit. Throw you over to Jason Rugard, he'll tell you what's going on. Aren't we? I mean, that's like the, is that not the ultimate line from this series too? (laughs) I feel like you should have like a little like saxophone kit you know and a little uh, guitar string behind that we're, we're talking about lethal weapon 2 in my opinion the best in the lethal weapon series we'll get into that a little Good bit God. in our ranking on Don't this i know that. trevor trevor uh <laughs> is my, we're, we're like the bickersons over here uh, i feel like we're riggs and Murtaugh on this episode because it'll be fine uh, apparently you didn't have the same reaction to going back and viewing this as i did uh initial reaction I'm, I'm on this for you? Your ebert you know um, yeah yeah, I just thought this was a, a bit too messy and a bit too neat all at the same time, and I really didn't like what they did with the Riggs character, and Murtaugh is just uh, a bumbling idiot. Right, we'll get into the plot and your reasons for that, but let's talk about some of the peripheral things first. Lethal Weapon mm-hmm. 2 premiered in July July 7th of 1989, and it was the highest grossing of the series. $147 million back in 89 translates to a whopping $330 million today. That's Basically, what superhero movies are doing now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's opening of twenty million. It translates to about forty-six million. It barely beat the third weekend of Batman. So these are two Warner Brother films, co- basically cannibalizing each other, unfortunately. And I think that speaks to the surprise even Warner Brother maybe unexpectedly uh, didn't think Batman was going to be such the phenomenon it was. You know, and and oh, uh, no, I think they could have yeah. used a little bit more spacing and could have dominated. The, the summer a little bit more as I mean, it that was that movie performed uh, batman then was as insane as dark knight was right yeah i mean just like a female uh, a phenom that they didn't expect to have yeah any sort of the resident i mean they knew it was gonna be big but not that big as you can see by their scheduling of this i think they kind but of they backed knew. themselves up you really think so i don't know i think they knew that lethal weapon was gonna be big but lethal weapon too i mean it rained at number one for three weeks at the mm-hmm. top spot of the box office, number one draw in the country, but it was in the top ten for thirteen weeks. It's over three months. It's unbelievable. It had a great run, obviously, and uh, I think well, it made all a lot the... less per week than movies do now, though. Right. I mean, yeah. If you open up with forty six and <laughs> make three thirty, yeah. you can see um, you can see the whole 
multiplier there. Eighty nine, the summer of eighty nine was a summer mm-hmm. of sequels. As from my count, there were six sequels sure. released that summer, and uh, I want to give you my list of the top of my ranking of those, and then you can give me yours. All right. <laughs> the best of the sequels of the summer of eighty nine: Indiana Jones three, and then I would say Lethal Weapon two. And then I would say License to Kill, the Bond film, even though it's not technically a sequel. It's part of a series. And then I would say Ghostbusters 2. And then I would go Star Trek 5, Karate Kid 3. Ooh. And we're getting really at the bottom uh, of the barrel. Christmas Vacation? Too. Forgot that one. But that's Christmas. I mean, that's not. I'm talking about the summer period. No, Christmas Vacation. Oh, you're right. You're just talking about summer? Yes. Yeah. Well, I guess. I mean, that's, a, that's an obvious order, so I would just go along with that. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, this last few spots, though, are uh, very flip-floppy. How do you rank the Lethal Weapon series overall? What's your ranking on the four? I rank the first one as good, and and the next three as okay. And I don't rank them, because what's the point? I mean, three and four are practically really useless. They exist, and so they're Lethal Weapon movies. But other than that, I really have no endearment towards those whatsoever. I think you're downplaying the fourth one a little bit. I think the fourth one's better than the third the third oh, one is extremely bland. Big deal. <laughs> uh, at least the fourth one has an element uh, of – I think it's it's funnier and it's got better action than the third one. Sure. Well, by the time the fourth one was made, uh, it's much slicker, right? This series, I just – especially after watching this, just I feel like it just went downhill after the first one. I think the first two are of a piece, and the three and four are obviously uh, determined by – you know their existence is determined by the huge grosses. That you know, each film made. I mean, this is a. I think *Lethal Weapon* two is is only alive, and this version of *Lethal Weapon* two only exists because of the studio and wanting to make the sequel. I mean, I would I would lump this in with those other two. Which you know, the, obviously this this was a great call by them. Look how much money this made. Look how commercially successful this was, in, in all it, you know all aspects. I, I think so this is you, a, a you fantastic like this sequel. better than you think that you would like the original Shane Black version of this movie. Yeah, I don't want to see the characters die. Really, I would love to see the Shane Black version. That's the version that I wanted to see, uh, not this. This is some glammed-up Hollywood sequel thing. Um, it's way too jokey. I, Riggs is terrible in this. The one-liners are horrific. And in the middle of action stuff, he's trying to act crazy but be funny at the same time. It's like, what the fuck are you doing? And then you it's will not be good. the Siskel. It's you not will funny. be the on this I show. I will be. And I'll tell you, it's interesting because – we went through this on Passengers, and I gotta say, what you didn't like about Passengers, I think, is exactly what this movie is. How so? It's I, what I just said. It's all glossed over. I mean, you didn't this like you didn't like the ending of Passengers, but you liked the ending of this movie. But you don't like the 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 dirty dark ending that Shane Black originally wrote. But you wanted that for Passengers. I thought Passengers was. Do- I mean, I can't believe we're talking about we're comparing these two movies, but Passengers well, was only dull because and boring. And this thing moves like a bullet. I have no. There's oh, this no does dead not move like movie. a bullet. That's no. That's. Where's the slowdown in this part? Where's, Where's the, the slowdown? What's the plot of this movie? How come the people say the plot is this uh, Getz guy and all this stuff when he doesn't show up till halfway through the movie and is barely in it? Oh, it's not. The, it's it's him stopping the oh, money please. launderers. It takes so long to get to the plot of this movie because they're so busy playing up these uh, two characters who aren't funny, um, and quite honestly, is kind of boring. It's like they just have these boring lies, but Riggs is still crazy, right? He's got to be a little crazy, and, and Murtaugh's still the stuffy old cop, and it's like, well, we're just check for the first half of this movie, we're really just re-checking in with these guys as they kind of wander around and do nothing. 
Well, that's what a sequel does. You gotta, you gotta pick up the characters, and I think that this one has a clear uh, intention of being more of a comedy, and I think that that is absolutely simplified that's by terrible. The, the, the opening when it has the Looney Tunes theme at the Warner Brother logo before we go into the middle of a car chase, first of all, that shows that this is going to be a, basically a visual cartoon. And second, picking up in the middle of a car chase, as Donner says in a making mm-hmm. of snippet that I didn't include on this show, but it is available on YouTube, he analyzes the car chase sequence and he says they continually tried to figure out ways to open this movie and it was all exposition. And he mm-hmm. said, make them the Bickersons. They've been married too long and set them in the middle of a movie that's already going on. And I love that about the first 10, 20 minutes of this movie. I really do. And- I think... I mean, I think just to to clarify this argument, I think this goes back. We had this argument on about the first one, really between the director's cut and the mm-hmm. the, the theatrical studio cut of this, and it was the I same argument. The yeah, I think it was like the same the argument. I don't want this to be just some stupid little funny action movie thing, which is you know my words, not necessarily what it is. I see so much more that it could be, and that's what I want. And I feel like it's sure. I, I'm missing that, you know. Today we have you know, the superhero movies dominating the multiplex. Back in the 1980s, the loose cannon cop movies mm-hmm. were, you know, the the superhero movies of their oh, day. They're so good. And, and I, I mean, probably nobody as much as I complain about them, this movie, I would much rather go see this movie uh, released today. And I, the cop movies are great. And ironically, Batman, like I said, premiered during the same summer, and that kind of foreshadowed where obviously the film mm-hmm. industry was going, and that this was. Uh, maybe the last hurrah and definitely the financial mm-hmm. high point of this this subgenre, the buddy cop movie, uh, that really started with 48 Hours uh, earlier in the decade. Well, if you, if you want to go down this lane, let's talk a little bit about how great it is to watch just a car chase without the CG stuff, just cars running, like created through editing, and also stunts that are real stunts, mm-hmm. you know, not, not against a green screen on wires and stuff, but... An, Actually, a guy being thrown off of a truck or being dragged underneath it or hanging off the front of it or, you know, all that fun shit. It looks dangerous. It looks like it was dangerous to make sometimes. And it looks yeah, other it times looks so obvious, simple. Uh, it, it makes it much. Well, it just looks real. Well, you called it a little too neat. I don't know if you mean the filmmaking style because Donner's no, 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 no. filmmaking style is very mm-hmm. efficient. I'm very talking clean. story. Yeah, I love okay. Richard Donner as a director. Yeah, I would never do that. The action in this movie is fucking phenomenal, which is the only thing that saves it for me, and the reason that I I would like it. I I don't like the writing at all, but direction's great. Let's talk about how it cemented Gibson as a legitimate box office draw that would basically continue on a 10-year climb that possibly – I don't know where it culminates. Does it culminate with him winning Best Director with Braveheart? Does it culminate with the one – Two punch of what women want in the Patriot in two thousand where no, he no, couldn't no. do any wrong. Is yeah. it the Passion of the Christ? Where does it no. culminate? I'd say Braveheart was was the end of the run. You know that was like the the top of the mountain, and it was it was a pretty quick backslide from there. But let me name off a couple of titles that were actual were big hits after that. You have that's uh, fair enough. But you have Ransom. Yeah. You have his mm-hmm. collaboration with Donner again in, in Conspiracy Theory. You have mm-hmm. Payback. I mean, these were all movies that did exceptionally well and, at the box and those office. were all movies th- that was a style while those were still good that was the style that was slowly dying out and being replaced with things like the matrix right you know what i knew he so. was a huge star was after this movie came out and bird on a wire did phenomenal and that movie's mm-hmm. such shit you're like <laughs> oh he can carry anything he can make air america into even a modest yeah, well, he, was, he was lucky enough to be in that time where it was a time of supermodels right it was a time when when celebrity meant um more than just being in us weekly and shit you know um, and people following you on Twitter, right? It, it meant people actually spending, putting down a cool hard cash based on sight unseen on some fucking thing you were in. This movie to me is so glossy for its time 
that it's almost like they perfected the formula before they couldn't do anything more with it. This was like the coup de gras. This was, you know, your big ending. This was the, the finale in the fire the fire show. And let's take a break real quick mm-hmm. and listen to the trailer and just listen to the slickness and the efficiency with what they get across, what they're selling to you here. Who is it? Police, open up. How do I know you're the police? After I shoot you through the door, you can examine the bullet. Open up. Mel Gibson. Danny Glover. Come on, let's go, Ross. Oh, no, we shit. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, Ross. Don't be a killjoy. Oh, come on, we're back. We're bad. You're black. I'm mad. Come on, man. Hey, 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 listen. If we're going, shouldn't I have a gun? No. Now, get ready for something lethal. I'm surprised you haven't heard about me. You know, I got a bad reputation, and sometimes I just go nuts like now. <laughs> because the magic gun. is back. Watch out the window, no. Are you all right, man? Yeah, I'm okay. Where were you, man? You're my partner or what? Why didn't you follow me down? Yeah, why didn't you follow him down? Shut up! I'm seven floors up! Lethal Weapon 2. You go first, I'm really too afraid. You go first, I'll cover you. Me, me, Miley. Hey, Mom! Good police work, officer. Come on. No. Back to my place. Hey, I'll even cook. You're lucky. I have to live with that. You're not gonna make it. I'm gonna make it. You know, there's not enough room. You were right, you know. Yeah, there, there wasn't enough room. Lethal Weapon 2. This time, they're not taking any crap. Just get off me, man. I don't want anybody to see us like that. <laughs> All right, I love that preview. I love that we have the original, the the, the, the theater voice guy there was Don LaFontaine. Right. Uh, you know, I love that voice there, mm-hmm. and all the clips. As I was watching Lethal Weapon two, I still, for some reason, had that that trailer, those trailer moments in my mind where something would happen. I go, "Oh yeah, that was in the trailer. <laughs> that that comment was in the trailer." And I still listen to the theater when I was a kid, and I remember the theater just being in an uproar every time Leo gets did anything and the action they clapped at. Did you see this on home video? How did you come to this movie? I'm fairly certain I saw this on home video. Yeah, I was young to be seeing. I this don't in the theater, remember. So I yeah, I would have seen this. If I, I, I doubt I did. You live in the city still, right? Or close yeah. enough? Yeah, we had. Well, I still live outside the city. It's hard to get to the movie theater. It's 2017. So I sir. didn't see a lot. I know. I got my movie pass. I'm going. I'm going to go. You better. Cause I'm going to start like, going. You get him and not go. Uh, something that I <laughs> proposed to you uh, at the top of the hour, and we were doing a little bit of research. We couldn't figure out if this is correct or not. But to my knowledge, this movie was released as a sell-through title. And what I mean by that is on its street date, uh, for those of you that were born after 1990, you know, might not understand this, but you couldn't always just buy the movies you wanted to buy whenever they came out. You had to wait six months before you got like a previously viewed copy or taped it off a of TV, and that means like VHS tape, actual tape with commercials mm-hmm. and everything, or uh, HBO. And I think that this was the first movie that on its street date was available, a rated R movie, I should clarify, for 1995 and not in a previously viewed format where you got a couple copies three months later from the Tower Records or wherever your video store was. And we can't, you know, to your best knowledge, uh, that's correct. Is that is that right? You, you agree with me on this? I'm going to say that there's a strong possibility because I can't think of anything else and I can't find anything. So, Very few titles back in that time were considered sell-through titles. The next big rated R sell-through title that I can recall was T2. Uh, but that would be in late 1991, which was another big uh, sell-through mm-hmm. title. Uh, but before that, they saved them for things like Top Gun and, and very special releases. Even that might have not been a sell-through at, at the time. But uh, do you recall the video of this having 
the Warner Brothers catalog commercial with Daffy Duck in the – do you recall that at all? Am I going crazy I here? I do. Yeah. Isn't that weird? It was I on the front of Batman too. Yeah. yeah. You can't watch a Warner Brother movie without a Warner Brother ball cap. Is this already cool? And he like bugs and, and Daffy. It's out there on YouTube. Check it out. <laughs> Some of the stranger bit of marketing for this is that we're going to break real quick once again. I want you to hear this because it blows me away that they found a way to connect Lethal Weapon 2 with the Los Angeles Lakers who were in their heyday of the 1980s at the time and to cross over commercial with Magic Johnson to sell the sell through VHS title. Listen to this. The magic is back. What magic? Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, Lethal Weapon 2. And now we're going. On video cassette. And man, the magic is lethal. Lethal Weapon 2, for sale at stores everywhere. Is that not some shit? Can you believe that? What's the point of that? Yeah, I don't understand. I don't I don't know. I mean, what is Why the is point? it magic? I don't is that somehow that's not in the movie anywhere. Like they don't talk about magic, do they? It would almost be like today if Ronda Rousey or somebody was like hucking the Wonder Woman DVD. You know, like, what the fuck are you doing? What are you doing here? Was that the – I thought about the tagline of the movie, actually, thinking back on it. The magic is back on the poster, I recall. Yeah, is that uh, that where they got that from? Yeah, how clever. Some marketing genius (laughs) said, hey, we can get Magic Johnson to do it. He plays in the Lakers. This movie's set with the LAPD. Um, Back when the LAPD were still considered heroes. But I think this movie moves like a bullet. Where's the, where's the slowdown in this? You told me. Well, the and the whole beginning of the movie is just is a slowdown. But I, I think just case in point, how long does it take to get to the actual plot? But look how much a good stuff is in there. You tell. Okay, let me let me name some things during that first hour that well, apparently. Okay, the pen to. conversation. That's a great scene. It is. It's also slow. And it goes nowhere and has no value. You asked me where the slowdown was. Well, I, uh, there you go. There's one. I, I don't think that's a slow scene. I would say maybe it's a slow scene until slow scene. the end when they have that look to each other because Roger comes in and he says, oh, Trish found the pen. And then they have that moment where they look at each other where it mm-hmm. connects those two characters. I like that. That's her moment in the movie, and she's gone after that. that that's being too neat. I mean, the, the very fact that he meets the, the killer, his wife, is just We need to talk about this. Fucking ridiculous. We need to talk about this. I that never practically ruins the movie for me. How they could – for what reason the guy – they say it's an informant, blah, 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 and they try to like very loosely tie that all in. But I don't understand what she would be doing in that, what he would be doing in that. It's such a strange, strange concoction to throw in the script. I hated that part actually. I was going to ask you specifically about that. Do you, realize, do you understand how that works like from a story point, how she was supposed to be involved? I never picked it up. Yeah, you know what? It, it, uh, my head was swimming when the, when the fact that he even started that conversation. I was like, oh, my God, I totally forgot about this shit, which is weird because I remember, the obviously, the ending fight. Um, but it's like, good Lord, why? Why can't, why can't the guy just be a bad guy that he fights at the end? Why would you do this? It's so neat and, like, stupid. And then it makes... Like, it makes Riggs even crazier. And then they go and they kill the other girl, which makes Riggs even crazier. And he basically turns uh, turns into, like, just a psycho idiot, just blathering, you know. They killed her. They killed her. She's dead. She's dead. He sounds like Rain Man for a while. It's like, good Lord. My other serious question to you is this. Why does Riggs wear a Letterman jacket throughout this film? 
What is it with the 1980s? It's he has the Axel Foley syndrome (laughs) from Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good catch. I never even thought about that. The whole time they're going, what's with the Letterman jacket? (laughs) I guess because it's like he gives the girl his Letterman jacket. It's like the style of I don't know. It is a style though, isn't it? Is like it? I can. Kind of <laughs> I think you're being kind. Am I of trying too hard? Yeah. I, well, I feel like it is a style for him, anyways, to wear a leather, not a leather jacket, but a Letterman jacket, just to. I don't know. Make him kind of um, kiddish, childish, Jocular, you know, in, in some way. way. Yeah, Jocular, you know, all yeah, all yeah. that kind of stuff. Because he's very incredibly immature throughout the movie. That's like, he's no longer, you know. I guess suicidal, so he's but he still has that crazy, which is just basically immaturity, right? Yeah, I think we can agree with that. Yeah, so maybe that's what it is. I, I could buy that, but during that first hour that you say is 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 no good here, I want to list off a couple of my favorite. Well, things I'll be honest with you, I I think the first hour is actually better than the second hour, but I don't think that the, it lends to a better movie because it doesn't really go anywhere. I, I I enjoy checking in on these characters and things, but what's the point for scenes like this when the first time that we re-meet his family uh, uh roger's family mm-hmm. i mean the rubber condom commercial i mean i love that scene yeah that's it's great special. and it also doesn't pay off uh it does later when leo's in the in the hotel room and he says hey i love this kid she got a great body that's a yeah. nice snippet too it barely uh, that's that's um, that's not a payoff that's like during that first hour we have the drive that's like an rant. extra thing which became infamous after this movie. That became, you know, uh, part of pop mm-hmm. culture for momentary. We have the toilet bomb. Great, great mm-hmm. sequence. We have the car chase. Both of them. The one to start the film and mm-hmm. the one through the hills. And tell me this wasn't the first time and maybe the last time you ever saw a guy get decapitated with a surfboard. How cool yeah. was that when you were a kid? It was <laughs> it was very, like, ahead of its time as far as, like, uh killing people in interesting ways you know (laughs) well so was the plastic on the floor i always thought that was cool and also this is the movie that taught me what a cougaran was uh i happen to know what that currency was as (laughs) as a child because of this it was like weird things i learned through action film but i I do love that commercial sequence with the daughter and his the way that the the cops are fucking with him uh back at the station and uh obviously the the big elephant in the room that we really haven't even talked about yet is the leo gets character Before we get into that, though, let's take a break and listen to Siskel and Ebert heatedly discuss their views on this. Our first movie is Lethal Weapon 2, and in a summer of sequels, which have often been pale imitations of the originals, this one is an exception to the rule. The original Lethal Weapon was one of the smartest and most exciting cop-buddy action pictures of recent years, and part two is as smart, as exciting, and just as well-written. This is not a lazy retread, but a sincere effort to do justice to the original film and it really worked for me. With a lot of sequels, the filmmakers use all of their ideas in the first movie, and then they just rip themselves off the second time around, but not this time. Lethal Weapon 2 was directed by Richard Donner, a talented action director who also made the earlier film, as well as the original and best Superman movie. His writer this time is Jeffrey Bohm, and together they've kept the feel and charm of the original film, including the odd couple relationship between the middle-class Glover and the street-crazy Gibson. And then they've added some effective villains, and especially the brilliant comic relief of that fast-talking little government informer played by Joe Pesci. The movie is entertaining from one end to the other. Uh, Not for me. I had sort of a split reaction to the picture. I liked all the things happening 
outside of the main characters. I think Joe Pesci is absolutely wonderful. I've, you know, if comic roles are ever going to get Oscar nominations for supporting, at least, this, I think, would qualify. He's terrific. And I liked uh, this woman, Patsy Kensett, who you didn't mention, who was the girlfriend, the love interest mm -hmm. of uh, Mel Gibson. I thought she was really erotic and kind of exciting, uh, fresh face. She's a rock singer. But the two main guys bored me because they were doing a lot of this false laughter and false... I, I thought that the guys would be, in reality, much sharper than they were. I, I thought in the first film, uh, Gibson's character was really suicidal, and that came, was part of his uh, excitement because it wasn't just a wild man. He was a wild man for a purpose. Here now, he's just sort of playing being a wild well, if man. If you remember, Gene, by the end of the first film, he had re he had come back from that. I, feeling I know of what he's supposed to he, do. He's a little. He's still crazy now, but at I least know. he's not depressed. He, he wanted to kill himself. Now he wants to live. I understand oh, yeah. that. Well, kind. what's wrong with that? That's uh, a there's good nothing, idea. Isn't there, it? There's nothing wrong with it. No. It's just the way but it's played. But they're still interesting guys who know each other and who like each other and who stick together and who save each other's okay. lives in this movie. Let me ask you something. Especially in that scene where the booby trap bomb is going to okay. go off. It's very well played. Let me ask you one thing. Do you know what I'm referring to when I say about the false conviviality of scenes like that? I didn't feel it was false. I've seen a lot of movies this summer in which people didn't, nobody on the screen was as intelligent do, as opinion. everyone in the audience. Yeah, right. In this movie, it seemed to me the intelligence level was higher, and they were thought, not, they had a lot of interesting yeah. new situations, a lot of interesting setups, I thought and special effects here. They okay. were not simply it's not doing a, a pale retread. Okay, it's not as bad as the Ghostbusters sequel or the Star Trek no, sequel. Nowhere near as bad, no. 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 But, I thought that the, the, the people around them were original. They themselves I, uh, were not okay, special. Even without being able to convert you, I'll just say this. If people okay. want an action picture, uh, instead of Ghostbusters or Star Trek go see Batman. or Batman, go see this one. No, it's a lot Batman. more fun. Leo, does he make the film or hurt the film? Is it more of a comedy, obviously, because of his inclusion? It would be better if he wasn't in the script. I don't think he's in it enough. Ask anyone to describe this movie to you. They're going to describe him as a, a major focus of the plot, and it's not true. You know, and, and it's something that they tried to remedy, and they, certainly for a reason, he's in three and four. Joe Pesci's great. Mm -hmm. um, he's absolutely hysterical. I love that character. And if you want to have comedy in the movie, you know, rip it out of Riggs and, and Murtaugh and put it into him and put him in the, in, in the movie. And then you can have dark and light all at the same time. I agree with Siskel, uh, or I'm sorry, with yeah, with Siskel in that he should have been nominated for an Oscar for this because if com comedic performances were ever to be nominated, his energetic, uh, I just think like it wasn't dog. enough. I really wish, it, I mean, I would agree with that if he was in it more. It needed to be a more substantial role, you know. It just deserved to be. Well, by Donner's own admission, uh, he says that Pesci was the the missing element, or perhaps like the last puzzle piece mm -hmm. between the trio, making it a Three Stooges type vibe, which is foreshadowed by Riggs watching the rerun of the Three Stooges earlier in the film, which sets up uh, the inclusion of Leo two scenes later. So there is that vibe in it. There is that kind of he's the dog in a sense, or the child between these two married couple. Uh, it, it, to me, I it's that's paid off beautifully in the end, which I think is a great touch by Donner. I don't know whose idea it was, if it was in the script, if it was Pesci's idea, if it was Donner's idea, whose idea it was. But the last moment when Leo's saying goodbye to Riggs and Murtaugh and he hugs them, I fucking love that moment. I think Pesci plays that moment great. Mm -hmm. I think it's a great bit of relief after a big action sequence where Riggs pulls the house down on the stilts, which is a, a great, uh, really the high... The, the climax of the movie, because the movie's actual action climax is, is kind of a letdown. The, the shipyard shootout with the, the car that looks odd coming out of the container and into the water. I don't know why that looks so odd, that special effect. I'm not a big uh, fan of that. But I do love the house coming down on stilts, and I love 
when Leo gets hugs the guys goodbye. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Getz is a, a very funny character. Um, and I don't know. It is one of those characters that just happens to, uh, you know, tell you everything you need to know. He's one of those kind of guys. <laughs> yeah, he, he's <laughs> happy to be keyed into everything. Try to you push him like, yeah, what do you know? Nothing? Oh, damn, what do we do now? Oh, wait a minute. There was one thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't remember this other thing. Oh, yeah, okay. I remember this one guy one time at a party. He brought a monkey and he did this. It is and... fun, you know, the, the idea that he kind of remembers where the house is and stuff. Then they got to take him with them uh, to find that. Like, they do a good job of, of putting, uh, of keeping him in in the fray you know of, of keeping him in there when it, normally and i guess in um the shane black uh script it was you know a it was a one scene one-off thing i think that he's in this just enough because he's in part three so much and it's so forced that I, everything that cisco says about this movie i feel about part three in his review of it and i feel that that pesci especially feels uh congenial and fake you know it's like like He's trying too hard in part three. In this one, I thought he hit just the right note. He wasn't overdoing it. There wasn't too much attention on him, and he was uh, the little brother in a lot of sense. I also found it interesting that the marketing of this movie, that there was a GMC truck tie-in, which is the truck that Riggs pulls down the the, the house with, and all the – you know the, his, the station wagon. All, it's all GMC cars throughout it, so I found, I found that kind of interesting, at least that the good guys driving. The bad guys are driving BMWs in the beginning there but mm -hmm. how invaluable is this michael Kamen score i mean does it not just make this movie feel a lot weightier than it even is and you say it's light as it is but does it not i don't know i didn't notice the score when i was watching it you didn't hear the horn cues and the the delicateness no, and some, no? it really just had no effect on me oh this guy's a i couldn't even tell wall. you <laughs> i couldn't even tell you what the score i heard like, no music so, yeah i didn't <laughs> I think I it was nothing. too. I, to be honest with you, I think the story just just threw me for a loop for just what they were doing to this. I don't know. I don't like it. I'm with I'm with Cisco and I'm with Shane Black. Wow, he did. I, don't, I don't like what they did. <laughs> Cisco and Black. Uh, I'm trying to get. I'm trying to. Yeah, I'm trying to name drop to get people on my side here. <laughs> what do you think about Patty Kinsey in her small role? I mean, she's given nothing to work with I, here, and basically. I think she's a knockout in this. And her only other credible role that I could recall was in an HBO made-for-TV movie called Full Eclipse. So, so here's – I mean, Cisco said the same thing. Um, I mean, carefully, what you both said was that she looks really good. Yeah. Um, that's true because she's a terrible damn actress, and she's really terrible in this movie. But there's a great fuck scene. Let's be yeah, honest. Yeah, see what I mean? So that's all fine and well and all, but that's what I think of her. That's why she's not anything else. She, she couldn't carry anything else, right? She's basically the Bond girl, if that. She would have been a good Bond girl. Now you bring that up even. I mean, that, that, that could have been a good – see, I just dropped the hammer. I just dropped the mic and I said it. I'm out. <laughs> You're done. Um, that was it. Exactly. <laughs> Cubby Broccoli, you can pay me over here. Um, I want to bring to attention a couple of uh, my observations uh, on this movie. One, I love that in movies – I call it the video store syndrome when they go to a video store and the whole wall has like only movies from the right. company that's releasing the movie. <laughs> and in this yeah. movie, if you, if you remember uh, – <laughs> Those are my Glover, favorite. 
he goes to pop in uh, a, a movie from his own collection to look at his boat, and all his oh, yeah. sell-through movies are all Warner Brother titles. Uh-huh. And not only that, they're the big clamshell ones from the '80s. You know, they didn't slim down. It does down make sense because you don't have to ask for permission, you know, and for to put those movies in there. And it's free advertising, right? <laughs> yeah, right. I just always love that when you go to a, a video store and it's yeah. like, oh, this is a Columbia movie, and these are all Sony titles on this new release wall. There's like one movie. They have like <laughs> a million copies, which you would never see in uh in like a mom and pop movies rental place which they always go into but it, there'd be like you know one whole bay of just like the same movie it's like no nah. <laughs> i also want to point out that in act that the actress janine i'm sorry jeanette goldstein not janine goldstein jeanette goldstein who was a uh, private vasquez in aliens and his was is john connor's mom uh, or stepmom in terminator 2 and she's also the female cop who dies on the diving board here uh, was my high school English teacher's sister, Mr. Goldstein's sister, <laughs> Jeanette Goldstein. Uh, big ups to her because every movie she's in, she's like a, a villain or getting right. fucked up. So I always, uh, I mean, she was like appearing in all these movies of my childhood. So, what like, are you, four steps from Kevin Bacon on that one? Uh, I thought I was more like three and a half steps from Vasquez. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to run up to her and be like, has anyone ever mistaken you for a man? <laughs> Slap me and be like, no, as you. Um, other observation here is that the, my favorite bit of filmmaking in this is when Donner goes back to his horror roots, a la The Omen, in that nail gun sequence when the guy comes through the, the plastic. <laughs> I love that you don't see that guy's face. He's a faceless attacker. He uses the shadow well, and he's got that low angle shot when, uh, when, when Glover shoots him. And then that last mm-hmm. – that, that, that line, nailed him. I mean, jeez, <laughs> man. I mean, that doesn't get in the 80s anymore than that, right? I mean, just – yeah. I feel like we should be flying jet planes and, you know, it's just drinking Coca-Cola. Uh, they basically were. <laughs> yeah, all day they were drinking their own Coke, that's for sure. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I went back and watched this one. It sounds like this might have hampered the overall legacy in your mind of this series. Uh, as you get older, do you think you grow a little because you've seen yes, more? Yes, definitely change, you know. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. I feel... It, not as bad as after I watched Die Hard 2, but, you know, it's kind of that, a little bit of that, like, what? Like, oh, because obviously as a kid, you know, I watch this very differently than I do now. Yeah, I, I like I said, I this was a sell-through title. My neighbors had this on VHS. My parents bought this on Laserdisc. It wasn't even a widescreen Laserdisc. It was the full, and it was a flipper. Uh, well, I guess they were all flippers, well, were but, all it was, flippers. <laughs> but it was a pan and scan, so it was just dog shit ratio. And uh, I just I saw this movie so many times that hearing some of the dialogue was almost like hearing a song you hadn't heard in a long time. And mm-hmm. the cadences of certain things, uh, you know, it, it was it was a nice recall to that. And it, for me, this ranks as one of the best sequels ever made. And you might call me crazy on that, but for me, I think this is the gold standard of what a buddy cop. 80s action film should be. I just don't think it was that good just to call it a gold standard. Uh, maybe I'm bringing too much but nostalgia that's fine. to it, but that, no, that, that because, could also be the case. Yeah. Well, it is what it is. I mean, it's certainly a product of its time, um, which I think you said. And when you watch it, you definitely get the feeling of what era this came from, you know, um, which is great. You know, and I think. For me, I miss uh, buddy cop movies. Um, even like, I'm complaining about this, but I, I just miss them like this, you know, because nowadays 
buddy cop movies are uh, all doom and gloom. You know, they're very, uh, it's so much more about the murder and like uh, the mystery, which is great. I love private detective stuff. Detective things are fantastic, but we're still kind of missing, you know, um, the buddy cop movie, which we got a little bit with the 21 Jump Street stuff, but. That was way more comedy. Uh, I feel like I, agree, I understand what it you're is, but it was closest that I can come up there. with, you know, at this yeah. point uh, to that. Yeah, vastly more comedy, yeah. And I would like to do a, a, a little bit more action, I think. Uh, and uh, we miss that now. I mean, most of the other stuff um, that's coming out that's like buddy cop movie stuff is really like Shane Black stuff, right? And that stuff's um, awfully dark. It's very nihilistic. Very good, and, but uh, yeah, awfully even dark. Even esoteric not, not, in the sense the that. Same. Not many people are in, in vibe with what he's got going on now. And the things like this that are similar are being relegated to television, even the namesake television, Lethal Weapon, that's on right now, which I think is a superior show to a lot of procedurals that are on television. But mm-hmm. I don't think that these kind of movies can get the funding they once did. And even when you do see yeah, them, they, they have, have some sort of supernatural angle or X, Y, and You know, they're a. Yeah. It's just it's not feasible any longer. Their their day is coming. That's what I'm gone. saying. There's always about. I mean, this is such such a simple plot, right? I mean, uh, in nowadays it would be about it would be more like a seven type thing, right? It, would, it has to be about like the murderer and like the the mystery of it all, and you know, it's jigsaw or it's something else, you know, and and so not even like the buddy cops don't even get a, don't even get a chance because they're not even the stars of the movie. These movies were very dismissed too by. Not by critics, but from the critical community, community in the sense that not many awards were bestowed on this for – they don't award action or stunts or any that kind of stuff. So there's not many outside of the sound That's possibly. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like these are forgotten, and these take a lot of time and planning. And Donner, to his credit, ha- he pulls this off magnificently. I mean he is the man when it comes to making these kind of slick movies. My only complaint is that as his career got further along – he would infuse more of his own – I don't want to say agenda because it makes it sound like I have some sort of problem with it. But I do get irritated here about like don't eat the tuna. And then there's another one. It's like the no fur and the mm-hmm. anti-abortion. It's like, come on, man. It's, it's clear what you're doing at this point. Just just stop it. This isn't like a product placement thing. This is you speaking to the audience through I really this. Did. And- I, I mean I, I totally get what you're saying. But as far as the don't eat the tuna thing in this, uh, I felt that that really worked because it's such a product of the time. Well, like it, really made, it really made me feel like I was it was eight, 1989 again because that shit was rampant. Mm-hmm. But it also pays off when Pesci gets the tuna sandwich. So I will right, say right. that. Whereas in later yeah. Donner films, it just is like on T-shirts and, and things. It just no, it's oddly, you know, just around it. And it pulls me out of the movie. And I, and yeah. the, uh, politically, whether I agree with it or not, it has here, here, there, there. It just it pulls me out of the fucking movie every time I see it. And it happens in Assassins. It happens in this. It happens in. Uh, part three, it happens mm-hmm. in the, obviously part four. It, it's it's all over the place in his movies. And but Donner's such a good director. The only time I feel like he's ever been out of his element was in Assassins. But that's a whole nother conversation. <laughs> I just think he was the wrong director for that material. But he was absolutely the right director to helm the Lethal Weapon series. I mean, he really established with him and George Miller obviously established Mel Gibson. And Danny Glover, too. Danny Glover, let's not forget, the next year goes on to make Predator 2. Mm-hmm. And you could see he actually was a viable kind of action star. I, I didn't have any problem with him in Predator 2. He's not no, the I like Predator, Predator 2. 2. Yeah. Well, I like the movie in general, but it's, well, it's, so do, it's, it's not the first one, but he's not. You know, people will always yeah, say, it sucks. And I'm like, well, he's not the problem. And if that, that's your problem, and he's not bad. No, he's very good in it. Um, yeah, it's not the first one. That's for damn sure. It is a completely that's different true. movie. 
you know. But I still liked it, and I do like him in it. I, he's good in, in everything. I mean, he went on to, uh, well, obviously both him and Gibson went on to do some some you know award winning dramatic roles. Great work. I mean, Gibson, yeah. Gibson and Glover are both fantastic actors, and you put them in this, and uh, it, this it seems like they could do this both in their sleep. I suppose Glover uh, was doing stuff before this too, but yeah. Also, just want to throw out one last thing before we go here. I want you all, if you have time, to go onto YouTube and check out the HBO behind the scenes, the HBO first look. I think they used to call them, if they still do call them that, back yeah. when they were relevant. Uh, some of the best ones I ever saw as a kid were the ones regarding the Lethal Weapon series. Part two and three were done by Gibson himself, maybe the first things he directed professionally. And they're mockumentaries where he's running around the Warner Brothers lot talking to other actors, Chevy Chase, Michael Keaton, anyone that had a movie going on the lot and messing with them and they all get injured or he messes them up they're absolutely fun to watch they were all shot on a vhs camera and hastily edited uh, but they're super quirky and, and actually fun so uh, check them out they're the hbo behind the scenes series did you ever watch those when you were a kid those used to be like yeah, those wait for those every month yeah do you still watch them no i don't i don't watch any behind right? the scenes stuff because it's all really not like it used to be i feel like it's not really a glimpse anymore it's all just a prepackaged gloss Maybe it was They're always that way, but it. I felt like I get like a glimpse before of something, some movie magic being made. Yeah, um, I mean, I now it's the Terminator totally, Two one was good too. It's totally just, it's just an advertisement now. Yeah, I, I tried to watch the Mummy one, and that was basically like, oh, this is that, free, this is when you rent the Redbox DVD, and they have like the one special feature. Oh, it's this, it's the eight minute. Yeah. In a blow fest here of how great it was to work with everybody, how everyone's mm -hmm. a fucking genius, and the movie just you know was the best experience for anybody involved. And then it comes out and it bombs, and everybody distances yeah, themselves. Yeah, that's usually it, right? It's talking heads over maybe some behind the scenes footage, uh, and it, and and that's it. It's just that's why we really like this. Yeah, but in its heyday, really, when they had the behind really good. scenes. Alien Three or Batman or these Lethal Weapon. I mean, these these were they took gems. time back then. It felt like you know things were um, just better. I mean, watch special features on DVDs and, uh, for something new, and then go back to something in the late '90s, and it'll probably really blow your mind. Um, you know the difference. Uh, I you could learn a lot. Um, Shit, I mean through the, through the special features. I mean the the commentaries today are still good. Those are still equally as good. But you really have to listen to commentaries instead of go to the special features now. If you go back to the Robin Hood DVD and uh, mm -hmm. Blu-ray, it has this this making of one hour. It's not even a making of it. The history of Robin Hood that was on TV the night before. It was hosted by Pierce Brosnan, for God's sakes, before Brosnan was Bond even. I mean, just a television actor. I mean, so people really did this. If you go back and look at the special, the HBO First Look for Speed, I believe it's hosted mm -hmm. by Dennis Hopper. I mean, they had real people doing this stuff like the actor signed on to do this because they knew this was their viral video campaign and check them out if you get a chance so that's going to wrap up our lethal weapon 2 retrospective going back and looking at it trevor had a negative opinion of it i still think it holds up and is one of the better sequels of all time let us know what you guys think either on the facebook page or at moviemavericks.com on the page of this podcast thank you all for continuing listening to the show we'll be back with you next week with a regular episode until then I'm Jason Rugard, speaking for Trevor Anderson, and we are the Movie Mavericks.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.